Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Watchdogs Bark. <laughs> My name is Drew. I am your host, and I consider myself a watchdog. This is episode 45. Man, it is good to be alive doing episode 45. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a new thing I'm doing. In this episode, we're going to talk about the suspicious timing of these indictments. And no, I do not believe they are a coincidence. And then you have to ask yourself, is Obama really still running everything in, in D.C.? Think about that. There's so many things going on that he seems to be involved in. And he just had a meeting with Joe Biden and basically told him that Donald Trump is much, much stronger now. So you have to be careful. So I just, I mean, if you look at his advice, at, at uh, Biden's advisors, they were Obama's advisors. And if you remember what he said on the Colbert show, I'll play that little clip. And tell me any other president that set up shop in D.C. after they left the office. Don't think there is another one. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Then, isn't it interesting that Donald Trump was impeached for a phone call with Volodymyr Zelensky asking him to look into the corruption of Zlochevsky and Burisma because Hunter Biden was on the board of directors and the direct connection between Burisma and the Biden family. He was impeached for that. And now we know it's true. Oh, dope. And by the way, uh, Joe Biden now acknowledges his seventh grandchild, but it's not the Republican pressure that made that happen. It's Democrat pressure. I'll give you a specific example. Vivek Ramaswamy is saying some great things. So I'm pretty impressed with this guy. I think possibly the best ticket would be Trump Ramaswamy. They would shake things up in D.C., and that's exactly what needs to happen. We need to drain the swamp and literally get rid of the rats in D.C. that have been just living off the dole for a long time. All right, and now, guess what? The cartels now have access to the CBP-1 app. Remember the app that this government created to let people apply for asylum in their own countries through this app? And then they can just report to a port of entry. And after they're approved, they are let in. Well, the cartels now claim that they have ways of guaranteeing that you can get into the U.S. and guaranteeing that the government can't track you with the new phone they give you. All for a price, of course. And did you know that human trafficking is now more profitable than drugs? When I tell you what a cartel member said about that, It'll make your blood boil. All right, all of that we have to talk about and probably some other stuff because that sometimes happens in my podcast. But thanks so much for listening. I appreciate your support. Please help me relay the bark and grow this audience because we got to wake America up about what is going on. All right, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but every one of the Trump indictments is suspiciously timed for the day after new information comes out about the Biden crime family. For instance, back in April, the House hears a testimony of Joe Biden's mishandling of classified documents, which kind of negates the fact that Donald Trump had the classified documents because they also found them in Mike Pence's house. So the classified documents thing is probably one of the weakest cases. 
Although there is that one recording of Donald Trump supposedly telling someone, hey, look at this document, you know, it should be classified, but I'm not a president anymore, I can't class, whatever, I don't know what's going on with that. But suspiciously, the day after Joe Biden's classified document information came out, activist prosecutor Alvin Bragg indicts Donald Trump in New York. In June, the FBI releases documents, the FB 1023, alleging a $10 million bribe from Zlochevsky at Burisma to Joe and Hunter, $5 million each. The day after, activist prosecutor Jack Smith indicts Donald Trump in Florida for the documents case. In July, Hunter Biden rejects plea deal and the whole thing falls apart because they found out they were hiding blanket immunity in that ruling. The day after, activist prosecutor Jack Smith adds more charges for Trump in Florida. And in July, or actually I think it was, yeah, July 31st, the House hears testimony that Joe Biden lied about his business calls with Hunter. And also, we have the Devin Archer testimony that basically said there were many occasions where Joe was three-wayed into meetings to meet and greet these people. Also, at the Cafe Milano, they had multiple meetings where Joe attended in person with Zlochevsky, Burisma, with uh, the president or CEOs or other leaders in Ukraine and Pakistan and China, especially with the CEFC, the energy company in China. So Joe, basically, we know now, has been directly involved with his son's business, and that negates all of the lies he's told about that. And surprise, the next day on August 1st, Activist prosecutor Jack Smith indicts Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. And these latest indictments or the latest charges are just ridiculous. In the 45-page indictment written by Jack Smith, he charges him with four counts. Conspiracy to defraud the United States. Conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Obstruction of an attempt to obstruct an official proceeding and conspiracy against rights. Um, He had to go back to the civil rights era for one of these and all the way back to 1877 with one of these charges, conspiracy against rights, which was basically preventing freed slaves from the ability to vote. That's the last time this charge was brought up. Conspiracy against rights rights. Boy, Jack Smith is stretching for this one. Also, another unintended consequence I don't think Jack Smith counted on by charging Donald Trump with this and making him a defendant, he now makes it possible for Donald Trump and his team to present evidence to prove that he wasn't lying about the election being stolen. So we can rehash all of the evidence that never got seen by many judges at the time. And People will say, well, there were 60 court challenges. No, there were three. Donald Trump won two of them and lost one. All the others were dismissed out of precedence because those judges did not want to have their name attached to a case that could have overturned the election. They were afraid. 
So now, Donald Trump and his team have the right to bring forth all this evidence. They can subpoena witnesses. They can really rehash this all from scratch. And I don't think Jack Smith was ready for that. But the problem is, we have an activist judge that is already calling Donald Trump a criminal. And she should absolutely recuse herself. But she won't. She absolutely will not. She wants the opportunity to put Donald Trump in prison. And at this point, with all the things aligned against him, it'll be a miracle if Donald Trump is able to escape at all. I think there is a strong possibility that Donald Trump will be indicted and put in jail and probably run the end of his campaign from a jail cell. And then if he wins, of course, he can pardon himself and the left's minds will all explode simultaneously. Now, even if Donald Trump loses, there's no way this will win an appeal, especially in front of the Supreme Court. So his time in prison will be limited if that's what happens. And I wouldn't put it past Jack Smith to, after the, uh, the charges are announced and, and if the jury by some slim chance comes through and says guilty on all counts, that Jack Smith will insist on Donald Trump being imprisoned right then and there put in handcuffs, marched out of the courtroom and taken straight to jail, even though he's in the middle of a presidential campaign. That won't matter. And the left will cheer from the rooftops. You will hear nonstop elation, celebration. It, it will be just insane. And then when the charge is overturned and thrown out of the Supreme Court, they'll all weep and wail and gnash teeth again, as expected. Oh, and let's not forget, there's probably more charges coming from Georgia with the Georgia election when he was on the phone with the Secretary of State and maybe even the governor, but I think it was the Secretary of State. And he, he just basically said, we got to find 11,000 votes. I'm short of 11,000 votes. We got to find those votes. That's not ordering him to manufacture them. That's just saying, let's keep an eye out, man. There's got to be 11,000 votes out there for us to find. That's not trying to obstruct anything. That's not trying to direct someone to manufacture or change things. That's just telling them to keep an eye out. There's nothing illegal about that. There's nothing unconstitutional about it. Do you know what is unconstitutional? All of the swing states changing their voting processes and election counting processes right before the election. And remember, I told you there was an article in Time magazine where the group of people led by the attorney Mark Elias actually brag about how they were able to change many things like mail-in voting. Many of the states that have never had mail-in voting adopted mail-in voting for COVID, you know, for safety. So then they sent out millions of ballots to known addresses. We don't know exactly who lives at those addresses, but known addresses of people that have been registered at one time or another. So some people were getting two and three ballots. And then we have ballot harvesting. And then we have voting two weeks before the election and two weeks after, till two weeks after the election. We have a month of elections now rather than election day. Oh, yes. And last but not least, no more signature verification. Who cares? If that signature matches their real signature, it's not important anymore. They don't double check whether they're legit Adam addresses or not. You know, it could be an empty lot. 
Who cares? Their name could be Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck or Minnie Mouse. It doesn't matter. It's all a legitimate vote now. The left used the pandemic to their benefit to rig the 2020 election so it was nearly impossible, or actually probably was impossible for Donald Trump to win. And then they had the cover from all the media and social media that would back up whatever they wanted to claim about the election, whether anyone that dared question the validity of the election were squashed and called election deniers. They love to put deniers after something, climate deniers, election deniers. I think another label would be most appropriate right now for the left, and that is constitution deniers, because they are. They're trying to, to circumvent and circumnavigate the constitution and do things their way, not the way our founding fathers set up our country to work. They want control. And again, I've said it before, and, and I mean it 100%. When the left is talking about defending democracy and a threat to democracy, and they are talking about democratic rule, period. Democracy is mob rule. That's the simplification of it. And they are hoping that they can get the government to the point where Democrats have complete control over all three branches and the Republicans will never have the ability to speak up or have any power again. That's their idea of democracy. And don't ever forget it. All of this was changed on purpose to rig the election. And yes, I do believe with all of my heart, the election was rigged. Not only because of all the different processes that were changed in each state and the ballot uh, harvesters and all the different things like that, but the media, social media, Hollywood, professional sports, corporate America, all did everything they could to make sure that Biden won that election. They put out misinformation about Trump. They wouldn't put out some things about him. They would uh, focus more on Biden's campaign and how Trump committed all these different crimes when he didn't. All of that was on purpose. And then the biggest thing was Twitter basically banning or blocking the story on Hunter Biden's laptop, saying it was Russian misinformation or disinformation. Or there's a new terminology. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's a new term called malinformation. Malinformation was, is if something is true, but it could be damaging for people to know. Then Twitter and other social media platforms consider that justification for blocking certain posts or limiting the reach of certain posts or uh, banning certain posts that have malinformation. And once again, for those who missed it when I said it before, malinformation is true information that may be harmful. What, what's the point? Malinformation? You can pretty much put anything under there if it will hurt your party, if it will hurt your ideology, then we'll call it malinformation. Just like the leftists now call climate change because global warming and global cooling got tedious because it kept going up and down, the same thing. Now they can use malinformation to censor information that is actually true but could be damaging or harmful. 
absolutely insane what the left will do to be able to censor free speech. Okay, now the next topic. Is Barack Obama really still running things in D.C.? Listen to what he said on the Stephen Colbert show a couple of years ago. I said this before. I, 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 uh, people would ask me, knowing what you know now, do you wish like you had a, sec- a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what, if, if I could make an arrangement where um, I had, a, I had a, a stand-in, a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats mm-hmm. looking through the stuff, and then I could sort of deliver the lines, but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony, uh-huh. I, I'd be fine with that because I found the work fascinating. Um, I mean, I write about the 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 uh, even in my on my worst days, I found puzzling out you know these big, complicated, difficult issues, especially if you were working with some great people, to be uh, uh, professionally really satisfying. Okay, so think about that. Barack Obama fantasized about sitting in his basement in his sweats, talking into a microphone and getting a front man or front woman with an earpiece in to do all the work. Huh. Well, let's look at this, shall we? No other president, after getting out of office, has set up shop in Washington, D.C. Barack and Michelle Obama bought a multi-million dollar house in D.C. and opened up an office for a company called OFA, Organizing for America, a mile and a half from the White House in Washington, D.C. So. Is Barack Obama really running things? Is Joe Biden just a puppet that wears an earpiece and says what Barack Obama tells him to? Think about this, too. When every new president came into office, they bring their own staff. They uh, have their own advisors that they trust, you know, around them. Not Joe Biden. Joe Biden brought in advisors for Barack Obama. Ron Klain, Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett. They were all senior advisors for Barack Obama and they're senior advisors for Joe Biden. Just makes you suspicious, doesn't it? Think about how easy it would be, especially with the media, social media, and everyone that would cover for anything. I mean, look how they're covering for the Biden family business now. I mean, it's pretty much blatant, blatantly obvious that this has happened, that Joe Biden is involved in a, in a pay-for-play influence peddling scheme with Ukraine. That's pretty obvious in other, other countries too, but it's, it's pretty blaringly obvious is all I can say. It's just, you know, you can't ignore it anymore. I think, honestly, it's getting to the point where even the left is not going to be able to ignore it anymore. You're starting to see some reports on MSNBC and CNN and, and uh, Washington, Ta- Washington Post and uh, New York Times, different stories that are starting to question whether Joe Biden would be the best candidate for 24. I now think there is no way Joe Biden will be the candidate, the Democratic nominee for 2024. I think it's gotten too murky now. I think there's so much information that sustains the stories about Joe Biden and his family and the influence peddling. And again, how did Joe Biden and Joe Biden and all their sons become multi-millionaires. How did that happen? What are they selling? 
What's their product? What's their service? The only thing they have to sell is access to Joe and his long time tenure in the U.S. government, in the Senate. And a lot of that time was spent on the House Judiciary Committee. So he knows all of the ways to avoid being directly implicated in all this. And that's why all the left is going, well, you see, Joe isn't indirectly, you can't directly connect this to Joe. No, you can't directly connect this to Joe. Okay, then answer me this. Why would the Bidens set up 20 shell companies? Why would you do that? Why would you set up 20 LLCs? Why would you have money that comes in divided among so many Biden family members? Remember, there are grandchildren receiving money from these millions of dollars that are coming in from foreign governments, many of which do not like us. And why did Zlochevsky in the FD 1023 tell the agents that were interviewing it'll take 10 years or more for them to find out where all the money went that he sent to Joe and Hunter Biden? There is suspicion that he probably used cryptocurrency to send them that money because crypto is still unregulated by the government. So many people are suspecting that he sent $5 million in crypto to Joe and $5 million in crypto to Hunter and then separated that all out into the 20 shell companies. So it doesn't look as suspicious that all these little companies have uh, different profits, but all of it is the Biden family business. But no, let's focus on Donald Trump and all the horrific things he did by asking Zelensky to look into this corruption and questioning the 2020 election and doing everything legally he could to try and find out what happened. Why? Overnight. And I, you need to understand this. Okay, it was right around between 3 and 4 a.m. in three different states, major Biden vote dumps happened. That doesn't happen naturally. If you look at the, the uh, charts on it, it shows a dramatic jump in votes for Joe Biden over a very short period of time in three different swing states. That doesn't happen naturally. There is no way it could have happened naturally. I mean, look at the numbers. In 2020, Donald Trump gained over 10 million votes to be the first president to actually gain more votes and still lose the election. Somehow, Joe Biden found 8 million votes above that. 81 million votes for a man that never campaigned. Like, what was there, three campaign rallies of like 100 people? It was like really ridiculous compared to Donald Trump's campaign rallies with tens of thousands in every rally. Where do these votes come from? You have to question that. That's your right as a U.S. citizen to be able to question your government, question your election. That's all you're under your First Amendment right. But the left wants to make that a crime. That's why they're going after Donald Trump. They're trying to make questioning the election a crime, punishable by fines or jail time for those that dare question the security of elections and results of elections. See, they want to be able to tell you who wins and you just accept it. And many people in this country will, unless Donald Trump gets reelected. Then we'll have 
all of the insanity that happened in 2016. I was living in New York City, and I remember walking through Union Square. There were people chanting, not my president, not my president, and their hashtag, not my president, written in marker on their foreheads. That shows you the intelligence level. So if we're really going to criminalize questioning the election, well, we're going to have to uh, get a lot of people charged then because there were many Democrats that questioned the 1968 election of Richard Nixon. There were people that questioned the 2000 election between Al Gore and George W. Bush. And finally, the Supreme Court stepped in and stopped that election after the hanging Chad fiasco. Then in 2004, they questioned that election too. And then in 2016, you had a lot of people that were in the not my president category. I mean, listen to all of the people that did not consider Donald Trump the duly elected president in 2016, including his opponent. Stacey Abrams doesn't win in Georgia. They stole it. It's clear. It's clear. And I would say, I say that publicly. It's clear. You can run the best campaign. You can even become the nominee. And you can have the election stolen from you. He knows he's an illegitimate president. He knows. He knows that there were a bunch of different reasons why the election turned out the way it did. Votes remain to be counted. There are voices that were waiting to be heard. And I will not concede. Respect, and I respect where you're coming from, and I respect the, the issues that you're raising. You're not answering the question. Do you think it I was... Am, I, no, do, I, I, would I not he, do... You're not using the word legitimate. There are still legitimate concerns over the integrity of our elections and of ensuring the principle of one person, one vote. I agree with tens of millions of Americans who are very worried that when they cast the ballot on an electronic voting machine, that there is no paper trail to record that vote. But constantly shifting vote tallies in Ohio and malfunctioning electronic machines, which may not have paper receipts, have led to additional loss of confidence by the public. This is their only opportunity to have this debate while the country is listening, and it is appropriate to do so. When you have these woke revolutions... That's just a small sampling. There's actually a 29-minute video. I can't remember if it's on Rumble or YouTube. Probably on Rumble because YouTube censors everything, including my last podcast, by the way. YouTube censored and or blocked my last podcast because of what I said with the vaccines. Huh. Interesting. Again, was that malinformation that they were censoring? All right. Anyway, but like I said, there are 29 minutes. I could literally play half of my podcast with this one video of people denying the 68 election, the 2000 election, the 2004 election, the 2016 election. But no, those that are denying the legitimacy of the 2020 election, you know, the perfect election, the most secure election in U.S. history, those people are criminals. Uh-huh. Think about that. Of some of the people that objected to the 2004 and 2016 elections. But listen to what a very young and, um, wow, very large Jerry Nadler said in the uh, House chamber 
many years ago about impeaching a president. The effect of impeachment is to overturn the popular will of the voters. We must not overturn an election and remove a president from office except to defend our system of government or our constitutional liberties against the dire threat. And we must not do so without an overwhelming consensus of the American people. There must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment supported by one of our major political parties and opposed by the other. Such an impeachment will produce the divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions. The American people have heard the allegations against the president and they overwhelmingly oppose impeaching him. They elected President Clinton. They still support him. We have no right to overturn the considered judgment of the American people. Mr. Speaker, the case against the president has not been made. <coughs> there is far from sufficient evidence to support the allegations. And the allegations, even if proven true, do not rise to the level of impeachable offenses. Mr. Speaker, this is clearly a partisan railroad job. The same people who today tell us we must impeach the president for lying under oath almost to a person voted last year to re-elect the speaker who had just admitted lying to Congress in an official proceeding. The American people are watching and they will not forget. You may have the votes, you may have the muscle, but you do not have the legitimacy of a national consensus or of a constitutional imperative. This partisan coup d'etat will go down in infamy in the history of this nation. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I yield back the balance of my time. Isn't it interesting that when Democrats talk about how unjust and unfair and divisive impeachment is when it's against one of theirs. This was back during uh, Clinton's uh, presidency and with the Monica Lewinsky thing and how he lied under oath that he did not have sexual relations. Wait, I have to do it like Clinton. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. I, I know that's my best <laughs> Bill Clinton. But um, basically, Jerry Nadler was speaking, I think, for impeachment, period. But the Democrats don't care about that. See, they impeached Donald Trump over a phone call in which he asked Zelensky to look into the corruption of the Biden family and Burisma holdings. And he was impeached for inciting a riot for January 6th. He did neither. And just like Jerry Nadler said, it's dividing the country and it is without merit. And it should not be passed. No impeachment should be passed with only one party support. Just like Jerry Nadler says, he's absolutely right. No impeachment should happen with only one party support. And yet that's what's happened. And if we are going to criminalize and even imprison Donald Trump for questioning, oh, and also the January 6th people that just walked through the Capitol, if we're going to imprison all of them and give them harsh punishments, then we should do the same for the people that questioned the 1968 election, the 2000, the 2004, and 2016 elections. And there were many, including Hillary Clinton. Remember, she said, you can have an election stolen. But when Donald Trump says the election was stolen, he gets put in prison. Again, more evidence of this insane double standard and two-tiered system of justice. Oh, and just let me give you a little bit of background about this randomly, I'm doing in air quotes because there's no way this was random, 
uh, randomly chose the judge that would oversee this latest case that Jack Smith brought against Donald Trump and the January 6th incident. She was appointed by Barack Obama. She has become famous for how brutally she berates people that dared to be at the Capitol on January 6th and calling them criminals, giving them the harshest punishment allowable by law. There is nothing more that she would love to add to her docket or um, record than imprisoning the person she believes is responsible for the entire January 6th riot and uh, uh, unrest at the Capitol. So I guarantee you she's going to do everything she can to stay on this case. A normal judge that has a conscience and a sense of uh, lethal legal ethics would recuse themselves. Oh, and listen to this. This judge, her name, by the way, is Tanya Chutkin. Okay, Tanya Chutkin. She also worked in the same law firm as Hunter Biden in Washington, D.C. You think this was all randomly chosen? They will ignore the rule of law. They will ignore fair justice practice, practices. They hand-selected a prosecutor to oversee this special counsel that used to work in The Hague in Europe, prosecuting war criminals and sex traffickers. And they appoint him to the special counsel. And then they handpick the judge who has said publicly that she doesn't have to treat Trump any differently than any other criminal. So she's already prejudged even before they go to court. Oh, there's going to be fireworks in this one. Because like I said, Trump and his team now have the subpoena power and can bring back all of the evidence of the 2020 election malfeasance and how they unconstitutionally changed election processes in most of the swing states and use the pandemic as the excuse for why. So this is going to be a wild and crazy ride, my friends. Okay, Joe Biden has finally acknowledged his seventh grandchild, Navy, uh, the girl living in Arkansas with her mother that was a stripper that had a baby with Hunter. And everybody is pointing to the fact that it must have been the pressure from Republicans and that it was really Hunter telling his father, uh, you probably should acknowledge the grandchild so this story gets squashed. That's not what moved Joe Biden to do what he did. Maureen Dowd wrote an article in the New York Times talking about how it's shameful that he's forgotten this other grandchild, that this grandchild had no control over how she was conceived. And even though she's a huge supporter of Joe Biden, she said it's shameful and that Joe should acknowledge that he has seven grandchildren, not just six. That is what moved Joe and Jill to publicly now acknowledge that they have seven grandchildren. All right. I'm telling you right now, Vivek Ramaswamy is impressing the hell out of me. This guy is smart. He's on point. I personally now think... I think I said in the very beginning of my podcast, I think the winning ticket would be Trump Ramaswamy uh, because they both know the law and how D.C. works and they want to fix all of the corruption that's been happening in D.C. for decades. I would even say millennia. <laughs> it's been going on for a very long time. It's been a long time that um, 
this is how things have worked in government, where you pay a certain amount of donations to a certain candidate. And when that candidate gets elected into that office, you know, they pull favors and all of a sudden your loser son or daughter who has never done anything or amounted to anything in their life get ambassadorships and different government jobs that are just kind of handed to them. That's kind of how this has worked. It's the greasing palms thing that is accepted all over the world, but has not supposed to be or is not supposed to be accepted here. But both Vivek Ramaswamy and Donald Trump are exposing the sewage that lives in D.C. And he recent Vivek Ramaswamy said something I really uh, agree with recently is, you know, there are four lawyers that are co-conspirators, supposedly, in this indictment with uh, Jack Smith against Donald Trump. And you cannot accuse Donald Trump or the lawyers of all working on what they thought was good faith advice and counsel. Based on the information they had at the time, they're criminalizing the legal process that tries to come up with the result different than that which the mob finds acceptable. Again, another thing that should make anyone who values the rule of law or the Constitution shudder. Another couple of things that Vivek Ramaswamy has talked about that I really like is he wants to raise the voting age to, I think, 25? Yeah, 25. And there, are, there will be exceptions for those that take a civics exam or enlist in the military. I think this is brilliant. Why shouldn't we have people that vote know just as much about our country as the immigrants coming into our country? They have to pass a test that proves that they have studied and, and uh, learned about the history of our country, our constitution, and other civic matters. Since we don't teach civics in school anymore, which is really pathetic and sad, let's make people get a pamphlet uh, or read the constitution and read all about how our country was founded and our founding fathers and different uh, points in our history and make them take a test on it to prove that they know enough and are knowledgeable enough to vote. Our founding fathers created this country so that informed public can vote on candidates. We don't have an informed public anymore. Uh, The left wants to lower the voting age to like 16, and that we all understand why. They want not only kids to vote, they want illegal immigrants to vote because they've opened up the border. and. They're giving all these free programs and paying off student loans and all these things. They're trying to do this to win the vote of younger voters and illegal immigrants. And I think it's brilliant for Vivek Ramaswamy to talk about this, or if you involve, of course, if you enlist in the military. Also, he talked about to counteract this, we would lift the mandatory registration in the selective service for all men under 18, or or right around 18 at 17, I I enlisted, or I, I, uh, yeah, I had to enlist. So, and that's just for a draft. If we have a draft, then the government can pull you into military service automatically. And so we, if we lift that, so no one, you know, the government can't draft you, and it's all a volunteer service of people that go into the military, those that volunteer should have the right to vote as well at the regular 18. 
But anyone that doesn't serve in the military and is not willing to take a civics exam to prove their knowledge of our country should have to wait to 25 to vote. I think that's absolutely brilliant. One other thing that he proposed in his platform, and I think I agree 100%, he wants to abolish the federal education system. Now, this is brilliant because education should be at the state level. It should absolutely not be federally regulated. All education should be at the state level. Like I said, our founding fathers created a country that would have individual states or territories at the time, but now states that would have all of their own laws and all of their own education and all of their own personality and all of their own political leanings. And people move to where they feel the most comfortable. That's how the country was supposed to be created. And Vivek Ramaswamy, I think, understands that when he says he's going to abolish the federal education program. This should all go back to the states. Some states should have education that centers mostly on what people in that state need the most. And other states would have need for education in other areas. It really is a way, I think, that will bring our country closer together. Let me explain what I mean. What, what, if you talk like welfare, okay, welfare has become a federalized program that should have never been federalized. Okay, it should have been a last resort thing. And again, it's proof that our government just keeps expanding and expanding and expanding, and no one's doing anything to try and shrink it. Imagine if you needed something, okay, you went to your family first. And then if they could not provide it, you would go to your community or church or community organizations. Then you would go to your state. And if all of that failed, then and only then should you go to the federal government. We've got that all backwards, and that's what's actually separating us. It's not allowing each state to flourish as their own entities. It's trying to bring down a hammer that makes everyone follow standard laws all over the country. And some of those laws really have nothing to do with individual states and what they believe and want to enforce inside their states. And we've already created a place where people actually believe federal law supersedes or overrides state laws, and that should not be the case. The majority of the rights should go to the individual, then to the states, then the crumbs left over should be covered by the federal government. And we've got it all backwards, and that's one of the reasons why I believe our country is so divided. When someone needs help, they don't talk to their family or friends or community. or They go straight to the government. That's where they want their help. And the government provides. And they do it on purpose. Remember, there's that sign in Yellowstone Park, do not feed the bears. That's partly because of safety, but also partly because the bears will become too dependent on the handouts and won't go work for themselves, won't go forage and kill uh, the food for them and their families. They will depend on the handouts. And that's exactly what's happened in our country. We spend over $3 trillion every single year on entitlement programs. Welfare, food stamps, Medicaid, Medicare, all, all of the programs that the government gives out free money take up $3 trillion a year in our budget and grows every year. The funny thing about our, our government is when they start a program, and the Democrats know this more than anyone, 
more than the Republicans do, because the Republicans aren't undoing all of the damage Democrats have been doing for decades, because Democrats know that once a spending program is created and passed, it'll never be taken away. It'll just be added on to. And our deficit just keeps growing and growing and growing. And our debt just keeps growing. And the only way we're going to pay that down is to get profitable enough as a country to pay that down. And I talked about that in my last podcast or maybe the one before. But if we get energy independent and energy dominant, we can start selling the excess oil and gas and coal and even nuclear that we have in this country to other countries for a profit so we can pay down our own national debt. How else do you think we're going to pay down that debt? I'm very curious. As a matter of fact, if you know another way besides our country becoming so profitable, we have excess to pay off that debt, how do you expect us to pay down the national debt? It's at $32 trillion and growing by millions of dollars a minute. It's growing at insane speed. We have, this is unsustainable. Eventually, it'll get to the point where we can no longer afford to pay the interest on our debt and we'll default and other countries will come calling asking for their money that holds some of our debt and we won't be able to pay and we will, our, our society will crash. Our, our economic system will completely cater uh, or you know, uh, collapse. So we have to figure out a way very soon to become so profitable as a country, we can pay down that debt. So I believe the only way we're going to be able to do it is to drill, baby drill, and utilize the one trillion barrels of oil under our country. Just to give you a little perspective on that, Saudi Arabia is considered the number one producer of oil in the world. They have a little over 100 billion barrels left, I think, maybe more. You know, uh, Venezuela and Iran and Iraq and all those, they have a couple, two or 300 million barrels under there, you know, combined. We have one trillion barrels of oil under this country. But the environmentalists have created such restrictive regulations. And we have an administration whose number one priority when Joe Biden got off into office was to stop the Keystone XL pipeline and stop approving new oil drilling permits and leases in our country. And they claim, oh, there's 9,000 that they're not drilling on. That's completely misleading because the oil and gas companies will drill on the land that they find oil and gas under. But when they drill and find no oil or gas, that's a useless lease. So how many of those 9,000 leases are completely useless? And like I said in my other podcast, Joe Biden has approved new drilling permits less than any other president in history since Nixon. It's all on purpose, my friends. It's all on purpose. Okay, and speaking on purpose, <laughs> the last thing I want to talk about is the cartels now have access to CBP-1. That's the app that this administration told immigrants to go on to that app in their own countries and apply for asylum on that app and that they will be either approved or denied. And if they're approved, they can come to a port of entry and come in the country legally. Well, the cartels now have access to that CBP app and 
they are using VPNs to hide where a person is really from. They can, they can access a virtual uh, network from any country in the world. So they can say, well, this person's coming in from Indonesia or Niger or um, uh, Sweden or, you know, anywhere else in the world because they can select the VPN and the CBP1 app can't tell where exactly that applicant is really coming from because of the VPNs. And these cartels are guaranteeing that people will get in for a price. One thing, like I said, is going to be very disturbing when I tell you this, but it is now a fact. Human trafficking and sex trafficking is now more profitable than the drugs. And the reason why is one of the cartel members, when he was captured, said this. With drugs, you can only sell that baggie of cocaine one time. But with children, you can sell a four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten year old child four or five times a night for 10 years. Think about that. Think about how heinous this is and that this, this administration is allowing it to happen. And as I've said in my podcast, go back and listen to my podcast about Sound of Freedom. Go see this movie. It will disturb you. It will upset you. It'll make you cry. It'll make you want to scream. The ending is, pop, is very positive, but it's very hard to watch. And the hardest thing to realize about this is the United States is the number one consumers of child sex trafficking. And like the cartel member said, you can only sell drugs once. You can sell a child four or five times a night. I, I just can't imagine the evil that would allow that. I, I can't fathom the kind of evil that would allow a child to be abused and sold that way and that they are okay with being with profiting from that evil. As I've said before, there is a special place in hell for people that would use and abuse children that way. All right. Okay. Now to shake off that negative and evil, uh, I want to, as I always do in all of my podcasts, end with a positive note. You know, I've been reading this book with a friend of mine. Uh, it's by Dr. Joseph Murphy, The Power of Your Subconscious Mind. By the way, I recommend everyone get and read this book. It's so spectacular. One thing that really stuck out at me I wanted to share with you is the difference between your conscious and subconscious mind. Your conscious mind is the captain, and your subconscious mind are the deckhands or the, the servants that will do everything the captain requires. Your subconscious mind possesses the secret to all problems. If you like, you know, everything you've heard, smelled, thought, felt, seen since you were a, you came out of your mother's womb, everything is still recorded in your subconscious mind. Every single feeling, thought, sight, smell, sound, everything. So in that giant trove, treasure trove, you would call it, are the answers to everything you need in your life. And by everything, I mean everything. You can ask your subconscious to get you up at 6 a.m. the next morning, and you'll get up without an alarm. Uh, you have the ability to heal yourself. Your subconscious mind built your body. Your subconscious mind is the one that controls your heartbeat and your breathing 
and your hair growth and your skin growth and your nail growth and your muscle growth and your ligaments, all these things your subconscious mind has created. If you learn to access it correctly, your subconscious mind can heal you, not only physically, but with issues you're just really having trouble dealing with. Meditate and figure out a way to give commands to your subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind will come up with answers that will surprise you. Always be open. When you put that into your subconscious mind, I want help with this, or I want to write this book, or I want to write this play, or I want to achieve this, or I want to start this company, I want to do it. All that stuff, when you put that into your subconscious mind, it will figure out how to do it. But on the other side, you have to be careful what you're thinking all the time because your subconscious mind pays attention and takes everything literally. So don't ever use terms like, I can't afford it or I can't do this because your subconscious mind takes you at your word and sees that that will be the case. You can't afford it. Your subconscious mind goes, oh, you don't want to afford it. Okay, we'll make sure you can afford it. Or I can't do this. Oh, you, you, you really don't want to do this. Oh, okay. Well, that you're right. You won't be able to do this. So be careful what you're thinking and be, be careful the information you're giving to your subconscious mind. Always try and think positively. Like instead of I can't afford or I can't do this, believe I can do all things through the power of my subconscious mind. I can have all the money I want. I can have all the experiences I want. I can have all the companies, all the friends, everything. You really can. I believe that with all of my heart. You just have to know how to access it. There's actually a scripture in the Old Testament that talks about this. And uh, I really like how this is, is stated. It's very clear to me. And I think it's actually becoming one of my favorite scriptures. It says, be sure that when you think on whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. So it's just reminding you to think positive. Oh, and for those who want that scriptural reference, it's Philippians 4, 8. If you learn, and I, I'm going to go along with you, believe me, I'm, I'm a baby uh, infant trying to learn this information. Uh, my friend is much more advanced than I am and, and is trying to teach me. I am very excited about what I believe will happen once I start to learn the true power of my subconscious mind. All right? So keep all those things in mind. And uh, as I say in all of my podcasts, if you agree or disagree with anything I've said, anything in this podcast, write me, drew at the watchdogsbark.com. If I like the response, even if I don't agree with it, and you make really good, valid points, I'll read your email on my podcast. I, of course, will never use your name unless you tell me to, because I honor everyone's privacy. I will always honor that. So I will read the email, and if it's a great, great email, and you make really good, valid points, like I said, I'll read it, and I'll respond in my podcast. That's what I really hope to get to, to where I have kind of a two-way thing going on rather than just me doing this podcast, I want to be able to respond to your questions and your comments and your ideas, because that's what I really want this show to go to. I want this show to be a two-way interaction, not just me spouting off everything I've learned. 
I want to be able to start responding to comments and questions from you. So that brings us to the end of another podcast. And until next time, create an amazing day and please relay the bar.